Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. It's been a very busy week. Let's get right to it. This week, we're going to hear about protecting elders from abuse and from fraud. We'll have U.S. Attorney of the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, along, along with Robert Torres, the Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Aging, and an uplifting story, a young man running 220 miles to see his Nana. We'll also get an update on the U.S. Census count, but let's start off today by visiting with Intercom's Doc and Jesse. They're going to start off by talking with Dr. Rajiv Fernando. He's an infectious disease specialist from Long Island, and now that we're getting out and about, how safe are we? And Father Mike Clotten says, welcome back. Things are going back little by little. Parts are yellow now in Northeast PA. Some parts even going green. And uh, we're getting out there. We're doing more. We're going to restaurants. We have our pal, Dr. Rajiv Fernando, on with us today, who, by the way, is an infectious disease specialist out of Long Island. So uh, things are starting to change. Doctor, what should we expect? I really think it's time to open up. Honestly, this is the time to go out. We know the virus doesn't really transmit with higher temperatures. Sunlight tends to kill the virus, uh, vitamin D. So we are better off with regards to what we were having a few months ago. Of course, in a pandemic, you can't really rely on all the temperature things, but I feel that we're going to be a lot better off and we're not going to have a, a spike in cases. And that's pretty simple, but we need to wear masks, continue social distancing, and uh, of course, carry some hand sanitizer with you wherever you go. Doctor, I'm going to be honest, I'm still a smidge nervous and apprehensive to go out to eat to a restaurant. Right now, we have outdoor seating open, but is that something safe to do to go outside and eat at a restaurant? Yeah, so in this situation, it really takes two hands to clap. So the waiter and the restaurant have to play their role, you know, by meticulous hygiene from their part. And really for me, wherever you go, it, it just, I love Cloroxing any surface, if that's even a word, Cloroxing, but <laughs> any sort hell. of surface you're coming into, when you get there, remember, it kills more than 99% of coronaviruses. And like I said, I'm against indoors right now, but I think outdoors is, is completely reasonable. The other thing I want to mention is we should be in a position to say, well, this is not working. Let's slip back into our rating. So now we're reopening, but if something goes wrong and we're starting to see a, a spike in cases, I think we have to go down to, you know, closing the restaurants and go from there. Jesse and I, just a few minutes ago, we're talking about school and, you know, in Pennsylvania, they say, hey, kids are going back to school in September, but they're trying to figure out, which they haven't yet, how are we going to do this? Because you want six foot separation among kids. You think uh, it's safe to go back in September? You know, I think September is a bad month, to be perfectly honest with you. Like I said, we're going to see cases this summer, largely because people are not social distancing. I don't think the virus is just going to go out there. It's just if we are not going to be doing our part as people, that's when we're going to see cases. But I think it's a little bit of a different ball game once you come into September and October. Now the weather is really going to play a role. It's going to get cold and we're going to see more transmission. So right now it's kind of forgiving in the sense you go outside, you don't social distance, you don't have that many cases. It is going to rise without a doubt. 
but if you're not going to social distance in October, that's going to be a lot of transmission. It remains to be seen. Of course, children really don't manifest uh, signs or symptoms, the vast majority of them. It's what the children take back to their home, to their elderly people, parents, and that's the real concern. What about vacations? I know that I canceled mine later this month. Is this the summer that we should just stay closer to home? I'm firmly uh, of the belief that we've been under lockdown for eight weeks. And, you know, I see a lot of mental health problems, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. I also work in a detox place in addiction medicine. And I can't tell you the number of alcohol withdrawals, heroin overdoses, cocaine. I haven't seen an increased number of suicidal ideation. But, you know, they tell me, you know, doc, I've been clean for 10 years, 15 years. The pressure, it just got to me. Also, we know in the United States, it's a silent epidemic, depression. It's about 10% of Americans have it. So I really think it's healthy to get out there a little bit. Like I said, Clorox, any flight you're getting on, the basic precautions, and try to stay outdoors as much as possible. Even if you're traveling, remember, in closed spaces, that's where the transmission rates are higher. But go out there, hang out at the beach. Last weekend, you know, I did go to a beach for a little while, but, you know, I drew out the boundaries, actually. I made it clear that we need to keep the six feet. I know I looked a little weird at the beach by actually (laughs) drawing out these margins. Whoever thought in 2020 we'd be doing this, obviously the girl I was with was like, oh my God, why am I dating an infectious disease doctor? What was was I thinking? (laughs) She's humiliating me at the beach. But, uh, you know, I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think we should go on with our lives, but be super, super careful and follow the rules. And I think we'll get through this summer. All right. Well, Dr. Fernando, we want to thank you once again for your time this morning. It's a pleasure. Take care, you guys, and stay safe. Good Catholic boy by me. Last few months not been able to go to church because of what's been going on but uh you know we moved into the yellow and rules have changed and father mike clotten's on the phone with us now uh he's in charge he's the big cheese the head guy the big man if you will good shepherd and drums where uh michelle and i go and also immaculate conception in freeland and how you doing this morning father mike i'm doing well how about yourself fantastic so trying to get back to the norm i I see you every sunday but i see you on youtube (laughs) where i get to see you doing mass yeah talk about what's a little different now and and when you think things are i i I noticed last week that you did have some people uh i was watching the one with uh our lady of the immaculate conception in freeland so i saw some people uh in church there how is that all working now Uh, the process is working well the bishop has allowed us to have 25 percent capacity uh and each church we have the pews taped up uh if you walk into church you'll find a blessed mother blue piece of tape and you sit there we're asking folks though to register ahead of time mm-hmm. so in each church they call in on tuesday evenings between 5 30 and 7 to reserve a spot if uh, all the seats aren't taken that we're allowed to have you can call in on wednesday morning the crowds the first weekend were, were underwhelming is the word that we use yeah. but people are still afraid doc you know yeah. they just aren't they're afraid to come back to church now we did it again this week and we have significantly more numbers coming to church We've gone from one Mass in each church to two Masses uh, in each church this weekend. So the numbers are beginning to pick up. Yeah, and that's got to be good for you guys, too, because, I mean, I know the church, a lot of it depends on donations. And with nobody there for three months, that's got to be tough. You know what? It is, but I'll tell you what, our parishioners have been wonderful. uh, A lot of them have been actually dropping them off at the church during the week. The Holy Spirit provides for us that we're really doing well. I know that some churches are hurting. Our offices remained open during this pandemic, following guidelines. You know, there's a bad ask it outside the office. You come in, drop your collection there. So we're pretty good with that. We're very fortunate. Uh, people in Good Shepherd and Immaculate Conception are incredibly thoughtful and generous. 
So what? It, just for uh, people listening right now, <laughs> what times are the uh, what times are the masses in Freeland? In Freeland, the masses are Saturday at four p.m. and Sunday at eleven a.m. All right, and Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd is Saturday evenings at six p.m. and on Sunday morning at nine thirty. We're talking to Father Mike Clotten this morning, and Father Mike, there's another question your parishioners want to know: When are you getting a haircut? That's the big question, Doc. I put it out on YouTube. Uh, I ask people to call in to vote. Right now, the vote is 50-50. Some want me to keep it. Others say get rid of it. When the barbers open up, that's when I'll go in. My barber has offered me to come to his home and get it cut there, but I said, nope, i got to be like everybody else. Yeah, you got to wait your turn. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully a week Saturday, if the uh, governor comes out, turns us green on the 19th, Saturday morning, the 20th, I'll be there getting my hair cut. Getting that buzz cut and that crew cut, right? Oh, you know, it's 35 years with that haircut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, let's, while I got you here, let's talk about your radio career. I, you and I were talking one time and you were a Philly guy. Yeah, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, uh, although from Tamaqua, my family moved to Philly area. I was a high school teacher back in the real early 80s at a Catholic school. I went on on Friday and Saturday nights with uh, Muddy Mike on uh, WOGL. Yeah. That was, again, a, a lot of years ago. But it was just for a year or so. Uh, it helped supplement the income, but it's a great opportunity. I knew nothing about radio. I had the voice. They said, don't worry about that. We'll work with you. So I had a great time on those days. Yeah, I think it helped me in my career as a priest. Yeah, well, no, it did. It definitely did. So, I'm all right. I'm looking forward to see you. I did not make reservations for this Sunday yet. So, uh, I guess Michelle and I will be listen, calling on uh, on Tuesday then. Listen, I know the guy who's running the place. Yeah. If you want first mezzanine seating, I can get it for you. There you go. I wanted the gold <laughs> circle seating, right? The, the $300 seats. <laughs> uh, listen, buddy, you have a great day. It's always wonderful talking with you, okay? All right, Father Mike. We'll see you Sunday. God bless. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Doc and Jesse with Dr. Fernando and Father Mike Clotten. With everything else that's been going on, what about the U.S. Census count? Intercom's Frank Andrews caught up with the regional director to give us an update. A couple of weeks ago, I I received a call from someone who said, would it be possible for you to interview a representative from the United States Census? Because we really need to make sure people understand that. And I said, absolutely. And on the line with us right now is Stephen Shope. He is a supervisory partnership specialist. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How about starting out by, I mean, it, it all, it's something that we have said a million times, but just so people can pay attention to hear it, why is the census important? Why should we care? Well, uh, it's important for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was written into the Constitution as the way in which we uh, ensure that we have equal representation across the state. So uh, the, the data collected in 2020 is going to determine congressional representation for states for the next 10 years. Uh, but something that hits a little closer to home for a lot of folks is uh, census data also determines how nearly $700 billion in federal funding gets distributed to states and communities for everything from uh, school lunches, the libraries, the roads, infrastructures, hospitals, schools, uh, very few things that aren't in one way or another touched by census data when it comes to uh, getting funds distributed. So it touches a lot of lives. Now, is the census this year all online? 
No, but it is the first time uh, that folks can choose to go online to respond, but they still have the option of uh, using a paper form, and they can also call a, a toll-free number to respond over the phone. Okay, I, and you know, one of, one of my concerns when it comes to the census, because you just talked about how important it is, and I, and I understand that, is that it kind of got put on the back shelf because of COVID and because of everything else that's happening, but it is something people need to pay attention to. I got my card in the mail weeks and weeks and weeks ago and immediately you know filled out my card for the census what what if people got it didn't pay attention to it what do they do now well anybody who has uh, access to the internet can at any time go online to 2020census.gov and respond online for their household um but uh 95% 95% of households in America received the form or received a, some kind of invite through the mail like you did, uh, usually multiple invites, and then ultimately they receive a paper form in the mail that they can fill out and return. Uh, but there's 5% of the households that don't have city-style addresses or receive mail at a P.O. box or any number of things that would prevent us from sending those things in the mail. And for those folks... Uh, we go out and we hand deliver a, a packet to the to those uh, households, um, and so as you said, with COVID nineteen, you know a lot of things were put on hold, and we we had to place a pause on our operations. And that operation where we uh, hand delivered packets was one of those operations that we put a pause on. We did recently resume that in May. We've completed that operation. So at this point, um, I think it's safe to say that any household is going to receive the forms or the invite in the mail or hand delivered that that's already happened so if somebody is concerned that they didn't receive something uh and there's always a good chance that a household received it and threw it away there's still two safety nets one is they can they can go online and respond they can call the telephone number and respond uh, or we have our final and largest operation called non-response follow-up. And any household that hasn't responded will start sending the enumerators out, knock on their door, and conduct the survey right there on their doorstep. Is there is there a, a deadline? Does this thing stop at some point? Uh, it will stop. Um, uh, we've got uh, still several weeks yet that people have the ability to respond. Uh, we encourage people the sooner the, the better because uh, really... You know, just 10 minutes of their time is going to impact their community for 10 years. So uh, the sooner the better. Um, and if you, if, you, if you haven't responded, be receptive of the numerators when they come out to the, to the door. Do you, do you have any idea what the response rate has been like for, uh, for Pennsylvania, for northeastern Pennsylvania? Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing, you know, we track and certainly anybody in the public can go online to our website, 2020census.gov, and there's an online uh, response rate tracker. It's usually within a day or two uh, that, that um, you can find results. Um, but it was, I think, one of the one of the benefits of COVID-19 was that people were at home and they had time and they were able to go online. And so we were seeing really good response rates uh, in most places in Pennsylvania. And just to give you some numbers, uh, right now the national self-response rate is 61.4%. Pennsylvania is doing 64.7%, which is even better. And then when you look at counties like Luzerne, Luzerne's at 60.9, Lackawanna's at 61.3. So it, it's looking pretty good. I mean, they're they're keeping up with uh, right there with the the state. 
and uh, real close to national and some are even above national. So it's, it's looking pretty good. There's still some work to be done. We know there's still households that haven't responded, so we encourage them to do so. Can you, I mean, can you tell people, I mean, I know this because I, I, I already did mine, but the kind of questions that they're going to be answered is it's not in any way an invasion of privacy. It's just basic information. But for people who are concerned, like what are they going to see when they do their census? Sure. The primary information, other than establishing uh, your address, and if you have one of those forms you receive in the mail, uh, that has a unique ID on it that you can punch in that'll, that'll cover that base for you. But really, it's just asking for names, birth dates, um, sex, male or female, and and a little bit about your your ethnic and racial uh, composition of your household. Um, and then that's that's the most of what you know they're asking for. So. It is, like, as you said, it's non-evasive, um, and it only takes a few minutes for somebody for their entire household to fill that form out. Is there any other information that we need to get out to people, something that I didn't ask you that you would like to share? Uh, just that we are with that. The non-response follow-up operation is the largest operation that we conduct, and uh, we're still accepting applications. If anybody's interested in working for the United States Census, they can apply online at 2020census.gov forward slash jobs you fill out a single application and you'll be in a pool and you know folks will give you a call and ask you if you're interested in a particular job if you're not you can decline it or you can accept it and and be part of the team but uh, either come to work for us but in any case uh, if you're unsure if your household has filled out a form just go online and fill it out again we have we have measures to catch it if there would happen to be a duplicate but um it's so important, and it's tied to so many important things. Now, you also you also mentioned a toll-free number. What is it, and why? how would we use it? And, you know, I've had some technical issues getting into my laptop and don't have that number right in front of me at the moment, but it is at 2020census.gov. Maybe you could share that with your listeners, or we could email that to you. No, we'll, we'll, we'll punch it up here, and we'll get it to them. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Coming up next, we're going to find out what can be done about elder abuse, and to end our program... We're going to be running to see Nana. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. This past week was National Elder Abuse Awareness Day. The U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, along with Robert Torres, the Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Aging, joined Intercom's Frank Andrews to talk about what can be done. This is World Elder Abuse Awareness Week and World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. And on the line with us right now is the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, who who wanted to talk a little bit about elder abuse related to COVID-19. Attorney Freed, thank you for joining us, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Frank. It's a great pleasure. COVID-19 has been especially hard on our seniors. I mean, we, you know, that, that's one of the areas where we have seen people hit the hardest. And so when you, when you reminded us and told us about how people are victims of fraud related to this, it was even more than shocking. Tell us about it, sir. Yeah, so Frank, it's, it's an entry point. You know, um, think about previous uh, natural disasters or events like 9-11 and, uh, you know, where we see, you know, this country in particular and, and the world, you know, pour out their hearts to, to victims and open their wallets. Uh, uh, there's no more, no country more generous than the United States when, when things like that happen. 
uh, at the same time, you know, fraudsters and scammers are going to use it as an entry point. Uh, they're going to use the fact that this pandemic is happening uh, to to come up with new scams uh, and to try to separate people, you know, from their hard-earned assets. And look, seniors are particularly vulnerable. Financial criminals associate seniors with money, and they associate them with being, you know, maybe less sophisticated in terms of technology. Uh, so you get a double whammy here, Frank. You get you got seniors who who face a higher risk of developing serious complications from COVID nineteen illness. We've all seen the disasters that have unfolded in our nursing homes, and according also to the CDC, seniors are, are now at higher risk of experiencing stress, you know, fear, worry, uncertainty, loneliness, and and scammers feed on those sorts of emotions. So it's it's you know it's it's well timed this year to have World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, World Elder Abuse Awareness week so that we can continue to to make the push uh, uh, for people to be vigilant and also to make reports. Can you give us some examples of some of the fraud that the uh, Justice Department in your office has been cracking down on? Sure. We've seen some, some fake cure and vaccine scams. I think right now vaccine scams are, are something we really need to be looking out for. You know, there's no FDA-approved vaccine. There's a lot of news about potential vaccines and vaccine research. So if you get a call or, or, or an email or a text, you know, selling cures or vaccines, uh, and often it's somebody contacting a senior directly with a sales pitch, you know, don't buy that product. Report that incident. Uh, and, and, and report to the hotlines and, and we can go looking. You know, if they get, there are phishing emails that'll use, that'll be used. People will pose as officials of the World Health Organization or somebody from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, just like they do with the IRS and Social Security scams, Frank. You know, they pose as a Social Security uh, employee or an IRS agent. You know, they're never going to contact you, uh, in that manner. Uh, and those are the types of imposter scams. We've seen imposter scams with people posing as Medicare representatives to to offer free masks or gloves or hand sanitizers you know if you only click on this link and provide us some personal information uh, we can provide you with those free goods those are scams too finally you know unsolicited cell telephone calls and emails from folks as I said claiming to be IRS or Treasury employees you know to do with maybe some of these funds that are going out there uh, it doesn't work that way IRS first form of communication is by mail not by phone, they're not going to call you on the phone. Um, so, Frank, if you think about it, they're similar scams to what we've seen, but they're using COVID-19 as an entry point. Yeah, for sure. Now, I was surprised to find out that there that the Justice Department has a an elder fraud strike task force. What What is that, sir? So, one of the, one of the, uh, uh, pillars, uh, really, uh, of, of priority for the Justice Department is pre preventing and disrupting elder fraud. Um, so we've got the National Center for Disaster Fraud and the National Elder Fraud Hotline. Uh, we've got a, a, a dedicated task force uh, uh, clearinghouse around the country, so when people call these national hotlines, they determine where where the case is taking place and they send the case to the right place. And, and you know, very much a priority of former Attorney General General Sessions and Attorney General Barr has kept on with that. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to get out there to the listeners, and, and I say this when I'm speaking to groups, you know, in this area, Frank, you know, Pennsylvania is a great state, but it's an aging state, and, and we have plenty of people who are potential victims.
systems here. When I get out and I'm talking to folks, you know, I want to really emphasize to, you know, get beyond the, 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 the you know, there's embarrassment involved in this. Look, it happens to people every day all across the country. The last group I spoke to, I played them a voice message that I kept receiving with somebody claiming to be with the IRS. You know, it happens to me. Luckily, I'm in this business and I, and I know how to sniff out a scam uh, most of the time, but nobody's perfect. So we really want to get that message out, especially to the seniors. You know, make a report. We can investigate. And, and you know what? Sometimes they're ahead of us, Frank, but even if they are, we use that to build intelligence and then ultimately we can take them down. Yeah, you know, Mark and I have, have uh, caution people that when they get uh, letters in the mail, sometimes the return address will look very official, but it's not. And we have, you know, we have been stressing, you got to make sure that you're dealing with the right source. And if you're in doubt, don't, because th- you're right there. This area has been hit hard. Yeah, you're 100% right, Frank, and that's a, that's a great point. Uh, you know, you get those return addresses that looks like it's from the IRS or Social Security, something like that. I got a call the other day on my cell phone, and, you know, they mask uh, area codes to make it look like it's a local call. You know, I'm in 717. I get a call from 717, but it doesn't say where in 717. It just says United States. And, you know, what I tell people to do, and I think, the, and, and we're so ingrained, especially our seniors, to, you know, pick up that phone. People are trying to make contact. Uh, you know, if you don't know the number, don't answer it. You know, somebody can leave a message. There's always ways to get a hold of you. Absolutely. Now, h- how do people use the Elder Fraud Hotline, and what is the number, sir? Okay. So, so the National Elder Fraud Hotline, and this is the one that I would, I would recommend calling, it's one Eight three three fraud eleven one eight three three fraud eleven launched by the Justice Department just this year. Uh, they can call that hotline, make a report, and like I said, it will be. Uh, it's a national hotline, but if they say this happened to me in in, in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, uh, it's going to be directed to the Middle District of Pennsylvania, and and it's already shown uh, a, a great level of success, and 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 we're hopeful it will be continued into the future. There's also a disaster fraud hotline, but for elder fraud, I would suggest you know let's use that one eight three three fraud eleven because it's directly related to elder fraud. David Freed, U.S. Attorney, Middle District, thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching out for our most vulnerable citizens. Thank you, sir. Thanks for helping us get the word out, Frank. There are many different forms of elder abuse. One of them is neglect just neglecting our most vulnerable population. But that is why we have the Pennsylvania Department of Aging, because they are there to make sure that our seniors are taken care of. And we are honored to have with us from Harrisburg, the Secretary of the Department of Aging, Robert Torres, with us. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Frank, for having me on your program. Glad to be here. Yep. You were with us about 10 weeks ago when we were talking about uh, helping our seniors as the COVID crisis began. Now here we are, you know, 10, 11 weeks into it where counties are going, you know, yellow and green. What is your department doing now to help people make the transition, sir? Well, we've we've been working with the area agencies on aging. Um, Actually, we worked for the past three to four weeks on uh, planning for reopening and making sure that that as area agencies on aging, for example, began to open senior centers, that they were doing it very cautiously and thinking through what steps we could take to make sure 
both seniors that would be participating and staff would be safe and comfortable. So we've issued guidance for senior centers, adult day centers. We've issued screening tools, um, questions to ask just to get a feel for how seniors are, are feeling at this point in time. Now, do I understand that you're also doing a survey uh, on, uh, on our elderly population? Yes, we are doing a survey. Actually, we're in the we're in the middle of developing a a new four year state plan on aging. That's required by the federal government um, to support the money that that we get in our budget from the federal government from the administration for community living. So. Our current state plan on aging will will finish on September of this year, and then October 1st, once we finalize our plan, um, that new plan will go into effect October 1st. So this survey, one of the requirements from the federal government is to obtain public input on what people feel are the needs for older adults in, in your jurisdiction. So that's the purpose of the survey. It's on our website. And I want to encourage all your listeners to please visit the website and, and make your feelings known on what issues you think are important for us to consider over the, over the next four years and beyond. Are, are you getting any indication of what the priorities are? Do you have a feel for what people are really concerned about and where, where this survey needs to take us? Actually, um, yes, I have the ability to see in real time uh, the accumulation of answers coming in. So right now, affordable housing affordable and accessible housing for seniors is a big priority and as well as affordable medication those are kind of leading the pack i i would guess so now those are two big problems that are hard to solve but you're right i see those and those are some of the things that people will call about all the time sir what about the whole crisis of nursing homes i mean obviously that is not necessarily something that department of aging manages but it's certainly a concern where are we headed with that well, um, Department of Health oversees nursing homes and, and Department of Human Services oversees personal care homes and assisted living homes. Um, you know, the administration has put a lot of emphasis now on making sure that we get universal testing of staff and residents. Um, we're reporting a lot more on what's happening in those long-term care facilities. And there's a lot of technical uh, technical assistance being provided by different uh, organizations. There was, I'm sure you may have heard of some of the briefings, a company called ECRI, ECRI. And just this week, the Department of Health, um, or in the last few days, announced that there's going to be even more support given to long-term care facilities to really try to get a better handle on on these outbreaks. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but the experience has been the same throughout all of the other states in terms of the, the problems in long-term care. But we're trying to put a lot of resources and, and see if we can get ahead of it. Um, you know, going moving forward, Secretary Torres, um, a lot of uh, a lot of benefits go to our seniors and are paid for by the Pennsylvania Lottery. Now, with people, you know, shut down, people, you know, stay at home orders. Has the lottery suffered, and will any programs be in jeopardy? Well, the um, the legislature passed the, uh, the their budget on May 29th. Um, it was a five-month stopgap budget, but because we're funded by the lottery and the federal government, we we were actually level-funded for the next fiscal year. Um, in terms of the lottery, they have seen some losses because so many of the retailers that house lottery machines, you know, the sale of tickets went down, but online sales went actually up. So, um, so I think there's going to be some decreases, but at least for now, I can say that you know, funding-wise, going into next year, we're at least level funded. 
so we'll be able to keep you know the uh, the same level of programs. Plus, we ha- we got federal dollars, you know, from the Family First and and the CARES Act funding. So that's money that will help us moving in to the next fiscal year as well, because that was additional money to help us serve older adults during the pandemic. In, in, in this whole coronavirus crisis, what, what has been the hardest part from your point of view? The hardest part um, was making sure that uh, the seniors had the resources they needed, um, making sure that uh, they weren't that we were effectively dealing with uh, social isolation because there, uh, there was a, a lot of concern once seniors did not have access to senior centers where they typically socialize and engage with others um, that, that 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 would adversely affect them being home alone. So we made extra efforts to make sure, you know, the area agencies were calling them and making sure that they stayed connected. Um, and, and just trying to keep up with the day-to-day needs that uh, that were important to them, especially food. We found that our Pennsylvania Council on Aging did a survey just to see how seniors were faring throughout the pandemic. Many of them were going out, so that was a concern. But they were going out because they, when they ordered food online, they weren't receiving their full order. Um, so they were getting frustrated with that. Um, and, you know, they ventured out for other things like going to the post office, going to the bank. Uh, because that's what they were used to. So that was a little concerning to see, but it was understandable in in some instances. I I would think that the number one call that we would get and the number one email would be, please help me, where's my stimulus check? I imagine you guys (laughs) (laughs) got some of that too. (laughs) Well, we did, and we had to put out a a press release because there were some issues with um, seniors not getting their, their... check or getting them and then some some long-term care facilities um you know taking the check think you know thinking it was part of i guess considered income so we had to issue a press release kind of clarifying that that was not considered income and making sure that that seniors knew that but yeah it was it was important that's you know obviously having some funding coming in to support them um, was, was something they were looking for. Now, you know, uh, we, we started the whole conversation with the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District talking about elder abuse fraud related to COVID. For the Pennsylvania Department of Aging, elder abuse fr- uh, elder abuse itself is a, is a major problem. What kind of services do you offer? Anything that you can share with us about de- defeating elder abuse in Pennsylvania? Yeah, we, um, well, we uh, offer protective services for elder abuse 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We never stopped throughout the pandemic. The only thing we did was just relax some of the face-to-face rules because, again, at the height of the emergency, we were thinking um, if we could capture information and records, things like that, as part of our investigation virtually, um, that would be better. The only exception to that was where there there was imminent risk of bodily or physical injury or, or sexual abuse, something that was really egregious that we felt we needed to go out. Um, so Protective services for older adults never stopped. If anyone, um, you know, suspects that there's any instances of elder abuse, please make sure that you're contacting our, our statewide uh, protective hotline. Again, that's that's a, those services are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Are, are you concerned uh, uh, for our seniors now that you know the counties are moving to yellow and some moving to green? That some will drop their guard and they might be at higher risk. Any any kind of words of caution for our seniors? I think you know from 
from dealing with all the area agencies on aging, we really have had a lot of conversations over the last few weeks, and and all of us were concerned to make sure that whatever steps we were taking in terms of social distancing, um, you know, making sure that the seniors were comfortable coming in, that they would be willing to wear a mask. Those are the kinds of uh, suggestions that we put in writing, and they're actually, again, on our website. Um, I know the area agencies on aging, some of them have not even opened their senior centers yet. Some have because it's it's kind of a mixed bag of seniors being anxious to come back. Others were more than willing to come back. Um, but we we advise the, uh, the area agencies on aging to make sure they're considering social distancing. So do you have the square footage to properly accommodate seniors and to and to put other steps in place in terms of, you know, the hygiene, making sure you have the hand sanitizers, and, 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 and if there's someone who is sick, again, dealing with that properly and quickly to make sure that we don't have outbreaks occurring. Well, your department, sir, has been very cooperative. Anything that we have ever needed and reached out, we got a quick response, including, including you being willing to be on the air with us. We are grateful for that. And if there's anything that we can ever do to help get information out, you know that you can call WILK. We're happy to help you well thank you frank and yeah and i and i appreciate the opportunity to be here again i want to encourage your listeners to please fill out the survey and one thing i want to say is we're not just looking for the opinions of older adults we we if you go and see the survey the demographic we have age ranges in like 10-year increments all the way from 18 and up and one of the reasons we want to hear from younger adults is you may have some 18 years old who 18 year old individuals who are being taken care of by their grandparents up in your area you have the north Northeastern PA Intergenerational Coalition that has sponsored 13 years of, you know, grandparents raising grandchildren conference. So we really want to try and get as much input as possible, especially from communities and from individuals that typically we don't hear from. So again, just want to encourage your listeners if, if they get an opportunity to please fill out that survey and let us know what you think in terms of you know, support for older adults moving forward. And that survey is on the Pennsylvania Department of Aging website. That's correct, aging.pa.gov. Secretary Torres, thank you for joining us. And this past Thursday, it was Nursing Home Day of Action. Now don't go away. We're going to meet a young man who's running over 200 miles to see his Nana on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, we meet Corey Capaloni, who's running 220 miles to see his Nana. Now, unfortunately, we had to put our program together before the event culminated on Friday, but this is what led up to it. On the line with us right now is Corey Capaloni. Corey is the young man who is running, originally from Washington, D.C., now headed to Scranton on what is called the Run for Ruth. Corey, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, Frank. Thanks uh, for having me. Absolutely. Where, where, where are you right now, geographically? We're currently um, in Elizabethtown. We're about three miles away from Elizabethtown College at a uh, at a campground. Explain to people the run for Ruth. Who Ruth is, who you are, and why. Okay, so I'm a uh, I'm an ultra runner. I've, I've done uh, ultra marathon races in uh, on four continents, um, including in the uh, Sahara Desert, um, and some of them were these multi day um, ultra marathons. And I was scheduled to do an ultra marathon in Arizona on March 13th. Uh, right before the coronavirus lockdown occurred. And so I, I canceled that ultra like the day before after uh, the NBA season was canceled. 
And, uh, you know, Tom Hanks came out with a positive result and, and travel restrictions to Europe. So it didn't feel like the best time to travel. So I pulled out of that ultra. And meanwhile, I, you know, I continued running. And then uh, one one day, my girlfriend, Susan Kaminar, suggested, well, why don't we, you know, try to run up to Nana to raise her spirits? Uh, because during the coronavirus, when she was, uh, you know, she's currently at Allied Services, and she was uh, worried and scared because of the coronavirus. She was um, she was lonely and sad because she couldn't see any family members. So initially, I started sending her different photography books and chocolates to try to get her spirits up. And then after doing that, that's when Susan suggested, "Well, why don't we do some type of um, you know awareness campaign and run run to Nana?" And that's how it all developed. And the the distance between Washington, D.C., where I live, and Scranton, Pennsylvania, where Nana is, is approximately anywhere between like 210, 220 miles. So we came with this idea that I would run seven ultra marathons, or I should say try, because I haven't done it yet, try to run seven ultra marathons in uh, approximately seven days to cover the distance that separates me from my uh, my grandmother. Now, your, your grandma is 98. Do I understand that? Yes, yeah, she's 98, and she'll be 99 uh, in December. Okay. We, uh, we downloaded radio.com so she can listen to this interview. Will you tell, will you tell us why she is so special to you? Sure, yeah. That's, uh, well, first, thank you for uh, giving her the opportunity to uh, listen to this, because I'm sure that'll be the highlight of her day and put a smile on her face. But she, um, she, she's like a second mother to me. So she lived right, right up the street from me. So I spent almost just as much time with her and my grandfather than I did at my, at my parents' house. So we, you know, she was the babysitter. She would, you know, would take me to school often. And so she was always there for me growing up. And even when I went into the Peace Corps after college, and she was she was taking me to the airport. She was negotiating with the uh, uh, baggage handlers when my bags were overweight, and telling them, you know, hey, he's going into the Peace Corps. You know, you know, let let the extra pounds slide. So she's always been there, and she's always believed in me uh, throughout my entire life. And I wouldn't have what I have today if it wasn't for her and my other grandparents and, and ancestors who paved the way for me. So I, this is a way to to thank her and tell her that I love her and that I'm there for her. Well, go ahead. She's listening. Say whatever you want to her. Hey, Nana, I, I love you, and we can't wait to see you on Friday. I've, I've completed four ultra marathons, so we're more than halfway um, to you. We, I've covered about 126 miles, um, so we have basically three more days of running, and then I'll be able to see you and wave to you. And I'm really, I'm really excited. And the uh, the shirt that I have for we have Run for Ruth shirts, and the shirt that I have for Friday is your favorite color, purple. And I understand that you're going to have a matching shirt. So we're we're just really excited. The closer I get, the more energy I get to keep pushing through. What is an ultra marathon? How many miles? So an ultra marathon is uh, anywhere from like a 50k, which I'm doing, which comes out to like 31.22 miles. Um, anywhere up to like a hundred miler. So an ultra marathon really technically is anything over a marathon, but the typical distance is a 50 K again, that's 31.2 miles roughly and 50 mile distances. You mentioned Susan. Is Susan with you? 
Yes, yes, Susan's right here. Susan, uh, what is your role in this marathon? I am the RV driver extraordinaire. Do it do my best to hold down this RV, and we have set meeting points along the route where I'm there with any, anything that he could want. So yeah, making sure making sure he's hydrated and has the fuel in him. Susan was the person who you know came up with this idea. But I couldn't do this without her because she has. She's never done one of these ultra races but she's doing an amazing job uh, just really taking care of me because at the end of each run as the days go by i'm completely exhausted without her i wouldn't be able to do it we're gonna we're gonna add to the conversation jim brogna jim is a vice president at allied services i i got to imagine that this is so special for for nana for ruth but i imagine it's probably pretty exciting for everybody that's there that knows about this I've been with Allied Services Integrated Health System for about 21 years, and we've done a lot of good things, both uh, events and and activities. Uh, It might be the single most uplifting uh, endeavor that I've ever been a part of, and and really pulling it together in short time. I think Corey and Susan and our staff have only been talking for just about a month about this plan, and smiles on the face of staff, Frank, that have made so many sacrifices to care for Nana and, and, and the other residents, and and even people that don't even work in that direct facility. I think we've had messages from healthcare professionals around the region that say what a beautiful thing this is that Corey's attempting to achieve in honor of his, his Nana Ruth. Now, now Corey, you, you actually can't go in to visit, right? I mean, I mean, all nursing homes in Pennsylvania are still on a strict no visit. I mean, New York as well. So you're just going right. to be able to wave to her and say hi? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I definitely wouldn't want to go in because, you know, we have to be very cautious at this point because the coronavirus is still spreading. So I am all for um, taking, you know, as many precautions as necessary. Um, so we'll be, you know, waving uh, from the outside. I'm sure I would love to give her a hug, but I, I think that could just be as powerful the way from the outside uh, and the symbolic gesture of, you know, covering uh, all the Oh, no, no doubt. We have all learned to do virtual hugs. Now, uh, Corey, you're also trying to raise money for Allied, Run for Ruth. Can you tell us what that is? And then, Jim, I'm going to ask you how that money would be used. There are three parts of this uh, endeavor. I mean, one obviously was for my grandmother to uh, put a smile on her face. Um, and the other residents' uh, faces, but also to thank the uh, all the staff at Allied because my grandmother, every time I would talk with her, she would mention how well they treat her and how wonderful they are, and so she really loves the staff there, and the staff are sacrificing every day. The staff are they're going on the front line. They have families. They're going to care for the people who cared for us, right? So the people who paid the way for us and what we have the staff at Allied are now the ones taking care of them. So this is also to thank to thank them and to uh, you know raise money for for the facility for for Allied services. Jim, how will the money be used? First of all, we think every gift is uh, almost as a tribute to the dedication of these healthcare professionals. I mean, we've had staff that have moved out of their family's house to move into an apartment to make sure that they're not spreading infection. And obviously we've taken every preventative measure from the CDC and, and Department of Health. Um, so with that, um, we have a we have a lot of challenges. So certainly going forward, if this continued no visitation policy remains in effect, there's this this distancing that is, is really taking a toll on our residents. And so we're planning on, you know, investing in activities to keep them stimulated and entertained 
certainly opportunities to engage families, whatever way. We have five nursing homes that we operate in this region, Frank, and we want to be able to use that those funds to make their lives in our nursing homes be as productive and uh, and engaging as possible while they're distanced from their families. All right, now, Corey, what's your, what's your financial goal, and and how do people donate? Yesterday was a really tough run for me. I, I struggled during the run. I was exhausted, and I came back to the RV. And I was trying to rest and get ready for another ultra marathon today. And yesterday was the day that all these donations, like a bunch of donations came in with the most uplifting messages. And we also, we actually met our goal yesterday of $22,000, which comes out to roughly $100 per, per mile that I'm running. And now, um, and people can still, you know, still give at a run, run for com. There's a donate uh, button there that you can click and it'll take you to uh, Allied page to uh, to donate and and I'm just you, you know the donations I'm so grateful for all the donations that came in also the messages I mean I, I read every every message from every donation and they have helped me you know get through these past four grueling days just reading those messages and what people have been saying. Well, Nana, I know you're listening. You have a great grandson. I mean, he Corey is just a great guy, and what he's doing for you is blessing all of us. What's it going to be like? We have both the concern about safe social distancing, and Lackawanna County is still in the yellow. Some surprises, which we can't unveil everything. Uh, we have some staff that wants to line part of the parking lot and hold up uh, celebratory signs for Corey. And, and really, even even being distanced from the facility, Frank, because our campus is quite large, well, we think that we could both be safe and also have a strong message of our gratitude. On behalf of our board of directors, Frank, our 3,500 employees and, and, and every single supporter, our gratitude for Corey's dedication to this mission. And, and us too. Corey, God bless you. Stay healthy. I, and we'll talk to you again. Have a good day, Corey. Thank you, Frank. Have a good day. You too. Bye Jim, now. thank you too. And thank folks that, that are listening, please go to uh, runforruth.com and please make a donation. And hopefully we'll have a wrap-up from Corey next week on Special Edition. Again, that website to make donations, runforruth.com. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.